Well, good morning, Grace. You wouldn't think I'd be nervous because I, I get to speak all the time, but I don't usually speak to adults. I don't usually speak to grown-ups. Usually I'm sharing the word with 7th and 8th graders at Push Ridge Christian Academy. I get to teach Old and New Testament. In fact, I just returned from a week with 100 of them in uh, D.C., New York, and Philadelphia. <laughs> it was an epic week. Um, but it's pretty cool because I get a paycheck to have a middle school sense of humor and teach kids what it's like to have a personal relationship with Jesus, to make it their own. And uh, we actually talk a lot about prayer as I'm teaching the New Testament to my seventh graders. Um, we get to go through the Gospel of Luke where D Jesus teaches the disciples how to pray. And we look at how God spoke uh, clearly at the baptism of Jesus we see how Jesus himself was the one who spoke to Saul on the road to Damascus. In the Old Testament with my 8th graders, we see how God walked in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. He spoke to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob directly. But then he spoke to Joseph through his dreams. God spoke through all of the prophets. See, our God is a God who wants to communicate with us. He wants a relationship with us. In fact, it was God who put skin on and dwelt among us. That was Jesus. So what does the Bible say about prayer? Jesus himself demonstrated how to pray, and clearly he didn't have to actually pray to communicate with the Father since they're both God. Yet God wanted to give us an example for us so we would know how to do it. Jesus modeled it, and we call it the Lord's Prayer. As we started this series, Talk to Me, Jesus reviewed, or Jesus, it might have been Jesus, it was Charlie. <laughs> Charlie, Charlie reviewed the Lord's Prayer with us. And then the next week, Tim Henson shared about the best prayer, how to pray boldly, expectantly, specifically, and thankfully. Then Jim Heddle shared how we can know God's heart and plan through prayer. And Brian Croyle shared five simple but significant prayers we can emulate from Scripture. Brian Brinkley shared how communication with God requires giving up control. And just last week, while I was in D.C. with the kids, Becca shared how you can participate in God's story through communion and prayer. As you can see, all of my friends shared a different perspective on the same topic. Prayer is how we communicate with our Creator and our Savior. So what can I tell you about prayer that the others already haven't? I'd like to share with you what God has revealed to me through His written Word and through His Spirit living inside of me. Today's focus scripture is a passage in 1 Thessalonians. And you can turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians in the New Testament, or you can open your app and go to mygrace.church. You're going to find these scriptures, some sermon notes, some extra links and resources that I've given to you. See, Paul wrote this letter to the people of Thessalonica, which is now in modern-day Greece. In fact, my girls got to visit the city this summer on their summer adventures. Um, here are a few pictures of the modern-day, well, they call it Thessaloniki now. It's near Mount Olympus in northern Greece. My girls flew into there and then proceeded to climb Mount Olympus right next door. They're pretty adventurous. Um, 
Back then, Paul and Silas had been there on their second journey, and they had preached in the synagogue for three Sabbaths. This was right after they had come from Philippi. And if you remember the the story from VBS or Sunday School in Philippi, that's when they were imprisoned. And while they were praying, while they were singing, God shook the earth, loosened their bonds, and they didn't run from the prison. Instead, they stayed behind, and the jailer was amazed. They led the jailer to know who Christ was. They led his whole family to know who Christ was. And so then from Philippi, Paul and Silas then come over to Thessalonica. And it's in Thessalonica that they're teaching in the synagogues on three, three different Sabbaths. And a lot of people believe their message, but it ticks some people off. And the house that Paul was staying in was attacked. And so Paul then took it upon himself. He and Silas then moved, made their way down to Berea and then on to Athens. Later, while Paul was in Corinth, he sent Timothy back to check on his friends in Thessalonica. And Timothy reports back to them how they're doing. And then Paul decides to write them a letter. In the first few chapters that Paul's writing to his friends back there, he commends them and he encourages them. He addresses some of their concerns about people among them who have died and when Christ is going to return. And towards the end of the letter, Paul gives a series of imperatives, commands for them to remember. In light of the return of Jesus, and since we have no idea when it's going to be, this is how you should live. Paul gives them imperatives, much like a list that you would leave for your kids when you go out for the day. Cody has heard these lists before. Make your bed, unload the dishwasher, put your clothes away, be kind to your sister, finish your homework. Only Paul's list looks a little bit different. Here is his list. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. That's kind of what I meant. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Those are the verses that I'd like to zoom in on today. Three commands that the Apostle Paul gave to the church to focus on until Jesus returned. And those three imperatives make up our big idea for the day. We can experience God's will for our lives when we see with his perspective, we live in thankfulness and gratitude, and share every realm of our lives with him in complete trust. So... Let's take a moment and break each one down. Rejoice always. How do you rejoice always? Sometimes things just stink. And besides, rejoice is a little redundant. Basically, if you break it down uh, grammatically, the root word is joy. So then you have the re, re rejoy, do it again, rejoy. 
How redundant is Paul? Have joy, then do it again, always. And how many times are we told to rejoice in Scripture? Well, Bible Gateway mentions over 200 times. We won't read them all right now. I'll just give you a couple. Like Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. My students will tell you that good teachers often repeat themselves, and Paul repeated himself, he, himself a lot. So how is it possible to have joy all the time? Is it possible to have joy even when you're not happy? Well, happiness is dependent on your circumstances. Joy, however, is independent of your circumstances. So how do you get joy in the middle of hard things? James 1 tells us to consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Well, how are we supposed to find joy when we're facing trials? Maybe we can look to another verse for the answer. Romans 15:13 tells us, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm clinging to this verse. The last couple of years, all three of the last years, my word for the year has come from this verse. I've had hope. I've had joy. This year it's peace. So I've taken this verse and I've broken it down into a little word picture I drew in my Bible. See, the God of hope is the one who fills you with joy and peace. And that tangles up with the trust you have. I've got them all in a blender there. Can you see the blender? I like blenders. Um, it tangles up with the trust you have. The Holy Spirit is the power cord because that's where you get your power. And voila, what comes out of your blender when you take the lid off? Hope. It overflows. That's the mental picture that I cling to. God can fill us with joy and peace as we trust in him. And the byproduct is hope. For me, the secret to being joyful in something is changing my perspective. See, when my kids were little, I had the privilege of staying home with them. And once a week, I'd go up to the upstairs bathroom where the kids used it, and I'd go to scrub the bathroom sink. And lo and behold, every single time, there would be hard, crusty toothpaste dribbled all over the sink. Three kids brushing two times a day for one week meant a whole lot of toothpaste, and they never once took the time to rinse their spit. And so then I'd go up and I'd start scrubbing the hard, crusty toothpaste out, and I'd be so frustrated, I'd start to grumble, I went to college for this, and I... Grumble, grumble. And then my neighbor down the street had a baby. Cole was born with a cleft palate. He couldn't suck. He wouldn't be able to spit the way that we do. He had to have several surgeries to fix everything. And all of a sudden, I now look at my kids who suck and who spit and who scream, and they have beautifully formed mouths and tongues and palates. And now as I scrub the sink, I see that toothpaste, and my heart rejoices. My kids are beautifully made. When I change my perspective, I'm able to experience joy because I'm looking at it through a new lens. 
Brian Croyle reminded us a few weeks ago that we gain perspective when we change our lens and we see things through God's eyes. Brian told us the story of Elisha and his servant in 2 Kings chapter 6. They're surrounded by the enemy. And when Elisha tells his servant who's freaking out to look up, he also sees that they're surrounded by God's horses and fiery chariots. All of a sudden, their circumstances aren't so scary because they can see what God can see. You may not be able to change your circumstances, but you can change the way you see them. The second one, give thanks in all circumstances. Say that again with me. Give thanks in all circumstances. Notice that Paul doesn't tell us that we have to give thanks for all circumstances. What a difference a preposition can make. This goes hand in hand with perspective. When you change your perspective, you can find the joy in all things. And when you see things the way God does, then you can give thanks in the middle of the hard stuff. When you see how God is working in and through things, you can give him thanks. Your heart is filled with gratitude for what he's doing. Changing your perspective leads to rejoicing and to giving thanks. One of my friends at work shared this article from um, Michigan State University about the subtle difference between thankfulness and gratitude. And I think scripture calls us to both. Thankful tends to be an automatic response, like when someone holds open a door. Most people automatically say thank you. Or if you drop something at the grocery store and someone picks it up for you, you automatically say thank you. Gratefulness tends to be an emotional response to reflection of an occurrence or series of occurrences that have made a difference in your life. An example might be a mentor at work who has provided support and guidance to you as you become familiar with your new position in the organization. Actions surrounding thankfulness only last a moment. Consider when you're at a restaurant and the waitstaff brings your dinner to you. Typically, you say thank you, and then you continue in your conversation with your dinner guests or just begin eating. Gratefulness happens at a much deeper level and has feelings attached to it. Gratefulness grows over time. The more we live in thankfulness, the more our hearts develop gratitude. And the more we live in gratitude, the more we end up rejoicing because our perspective has changed to see things the way God sees them. Number three, pray without ceasing. Pray continually. Or put another way, be in nonstop communication with God, speaking, listening. Doesn't have to be formal, doesn't have to be scheduled. It's just constant communication. The kind of communication you have when someone you love calls you on the phone. And you know from that first word who is talking. You hear a voice say, hey mom. And you know from the sound of your, their voice who it is. You don't need to ask, who is this? Or like when you're at a party and you get that glance from across the room. You know the one, the one that says, can we go now? <laughs> how many of you can tell how those closest to you are feeling just from their tone, their body language, or their size? 
That's the kind of communication that God wants us to have with him. From the creation of the earth, God has desired relationship with us. Even when Jesus left to go to heaven, he left his spirit with us, inside of us, so that we could know his heart, he could know our heart. And when you trust someone, you go to them with anything at any time. That's what it means to pray without ceasing. It's every breath, every look, every sigh, every thought, every word, all seeking God's input and direction. In the book, uh, Liturgy of the Ordinary, author Tish Harrison shares how we can become aware of God's presence in an ordinary day. How do you have a sacred moment between you and God when you've lost your keys, when you're checking your email at work, when you're sitting in traffic? There is not a chapter on scrubbing the bathroom sink, but I think I got that one figured out. Sharing every part of who I am in every moment of my day and wanting every part of him in me. That, my friends, is relationship, and it requires total trust. Praying without ceasing requires trust in the God who has been there before to believe he will continue to be there in the future. It's the Israelites building an altar of rocks at Gilgal to remind them of God's faithfulness in crossing the Jordan on dry land so that one day when their kids and their grandkids were uncertain of the future, they could point back to that stack of rocks and know that God had been faithful in the past. It's the Ebenezer that Samuel built after the Lord helped them win the battle at Mizpah, saying, thus far the Lord has helped us. In fact, that was the phrase that Grace used in 2009 when Pastor Scott moved to Illinois. We were in between pastors. We didn't know what the future would hold. And we all had these magnets on our fridges to remind us that God had been faithful to Grace in the past and God would continue to hold us in our future. We were in constant prayer asking him to guide us into an unknown future. Rejoice always. Give thanks in all circumstances. Pray without ceasing. But did you notice that I went over them in a different order than Scripture listed them? Maybe a few of you type A folks. Scripture said, Rejoice, pray, give thanks. But for me, these hit home to me in a different order. A few weeks ago, I was reading these very verses in a widow's blog that I follow. And as I read them, I realized that I've actually been living these verses practically for the past five years. Only I've called them by different names. Perspective, gratitude, and trust. If you'll allow me to take a few minutes, I'd like to give you a little bit of background on our family. We started attending Grace in 1998. Carl and I showed up here with a daughter who was a year and a half, and I was six months pregnant. We introduced ourselves as Carl, Mita, this is little Skylar, and here's Hannah. Hannah's now 21. There's a picture of her at her baby dedication with Pastor Scott. Brenda Heddle's leading the devotional at her baby shower. Within a few months, we decided to call Grace our church home, and a few years later, we had Cody, our son, there he is at his, his dedication also. Cody was born with a heart defect that required surgery immediately. 
And through that difficult season, our family saw God's power and his provision. That story is a whole story in itself for another day. But I include it now because it was these lessons of God's power and his provision that would help us in the future. There's Miss Lucy caring for my babies then and now and the third grade Bible dedication. Carl and I both had seasons in church leadership. We've been on search teams. We led a small group that met weekly for eight years. And VBS at Grace became a part of our DNA as a family. Sometime in 2013, Carl was offered a bubble assignment to work in Bangalore, India for the following summer in 2014. We decided to take the assignment after Honeywell agreed to let the entire family go. We had an apartment, a car and driver, service opportunities at a local church, and a round-the-world global adventure plan to visit family and friends before and after our time in India. We got our shots, we had medical checks, and we bought our plane tickets. It was during one of these med checks that Carl's doctor advised him to go for a colonoscopy. And for some unknown reason still to this day, our Indian visas had been delayed. Carl took the opportunity to go for the colonoscopy. And of course, it was during the busiest week of the school year. It was the day report cards were due. It was the day I had a field trip to Tubac. And it was the day after Cody's last band concert. Our suitcases are open on the floor, mostly packed. I wanted to postpone it, but Carl was insistent that he go. Little did I know, he had given the doctor some symptoms that he had not revealed to me. So as I returned from the field trip that day, dressed like Ma Ingalls, Carl called me on the phone. They found cancer. It's pretty big, seven centimeters. They're going to have to take a chunk out of my colon, and I've canceled our trip. Life as we knew it changed like that. We told our kids, we told our parents, we called our friends, we asked for prayer. I started making calls to cancel many of our reservations in London and Amsterdam and all through India. The bummer was I hadn't bought the insurance for the kids' plane tickets, $10,000, now gone. Carl got an appointment with his oncologist for the next Wednesday morning. I took the day off of work to go with them. And if you know anything about the next to last day of school, that was crazy. But that Wednesday morning, I woke up and I wasn't yet quite awake. You know those moments when you've woken up but you haven't really opened your eyes and you haven't really engaged the world yet? Right then, it was in those moments that I heard three words as clearly as if someone had shouted at me with a bullhorn. Perspective, gratitude, trust. Specifically, those three words. And I know that it was God himself who spoke them to me as clearly as I am talking to you right now. I couldn't get them out of my head. As we went to the doctor, I told Carl about them when we sat in the waiting room. Somehow God knew that we were going to need them. 
in the next few weeks amid lots of crazy outside circumstances with traveling and job stresses, Carl had surgery to remove a foot of his colon. Then we found out that the cancer had spread to his lymph nodes. He was also going to need chemotherapy. So he got a port two weeks later, and then we recovered in Rocky Point for a few days of solid family time. When we came back from Rocky Point, Carl had his first chemo treatment. That entire month, perspective, gratitude, trust were our mantra. Instead of being upset that we didn't go to India, we looked at it through God's lens. We had reason to get a bunch of medical testing, and the doctors discovered Carl's cancer early. Instead of being angry that we lost $10,000 on plane tickets, I looked at it as though we paid $10,000 for an early cancer diagnosis. Who wouldn't pay $10,000 to get it diagnosed early? I changed my perspective, and I gave thanks that we were in this country fighting cancer instead of a third world country where it not, might not have been diagnosed. I was able to blog about all of this on our family blog, Mason Adventures. I've put a link to that blog in your online sermon notes so you can go back and read it as it was the day I wrote it. Carl's chemo treatment was on July 8th. He was able to return to work for some half days. And then on July 20th, it was a normal Sunday morning, we went to church, we went to Rubio's for lunch, ran over to Ace Hardware to pick up the lawnmower, came home, had an afternoon nap before it was time to come back for Blender. See, Carl led the middle school boys and I led the middle school girls every week. Only this particular night, we decided to take two cars. Carl and Skyler went first, and then Hannah and I had an errand to run at Ironwood Ridge High School where she was starting band camp. We'd come a little bit later. I got a call while we were standing in the band room that Skylar had been in an accident right here at the corner of LaToya and Lambert. We left the school immediately and we were stopped by the police right on LaToya. They wouldn't let us through because there had been a fatality. They didn't say more. We called family and friends on the way to UMC. And once there, the ER people put us in a little room to wait. The surgical team was about to come in to talk to us when Oro Valley PD interrupted them and came in to tell us that a distracted driver had run the red light and hit directly on Carl's side of the car. He was killed instantly. Everything in the car was pushed into Skylar. The next few days were touch and go. Would Skylar have brain damage? Would she lose the sight in her eye? Even more questions were added as the days turned into weeks. Would she ever have control over her facial muscles again? We were in the hospital for nearly a month. And Grace, oh my Grace, you were there with us every single moment. 
from the friends who dropped everything and rushed to us so they could be there when the police told us, to Charlie Lahardy sitting by Skylar's bedside with his laptop in his lap so that he could update the church website because all of you wanted to know how to pray. Our diamond squad of grace moms who took turns sleeping in Skylar's room so that Hannah and I could get a few hours of sleep upstairs. We'd built relationships with those nurses 10 years prior when Cody was born. And it was those same exact nurses now 10 years later that gave us a room to sleep in so we never had to leave the hospital. Every single person in this room who donated money, who made meals, who cleaned our house, who hung out with Cody, who walked our dogs, who prayed from afar, who sent gift cards, I will never, ever know all the ways that you all really loved on us. Our Oro Valley community rallied together. They showed up on the football field at Painted Sky and made a huge heart. We took an aerial picture showing their love for us. Our friends made and sold these bracelets to benefit our family. What did the bracelets say on them? Perspective, gratitude, trust the Mason family. We eventually came home from the hospital where Skylar met with therapists multiple times a week. And over the next few months, she had several more surgeries and started back to school. That next May, she graduated with honors from Ironwood Ridge, and she was asked to be the senior class speaker at graduation. She went on to ASU to study journalism and while Skylar didn't have brain damage, she did lose all her hearing and her sight on the left side. I've put a link to her graduation speech in your notes, too. As the months went on after the accident, I began to see things through God's lens. When Carl was first diagnosed with cancer, I felt angry. Many months after he died, I began to see those weeks with cancer as a gift. After his surgery, he didn't really go back to work. We'd sit out on the deck for breakfast. We'd stay, take a stroll around our property so he could get his strength back. We went to a doctor's visit. And we'd have a light lunch, an afternoon nap, an early dinner so we could watch the sunset. And Carl let his beard grow in, and it came in all stubbly and gray. And for those six weeks, we acted like a little old retired couple. Instead of being mad at cancer, I started to see it as a gift so I could have that time with him. I could rejoice because I could see the cancer through God's eyes. And I actually thanked God that he had had cancer. The very morning of the accident before church, as I had my quiet time on the back porch, I wrote in my journal, pleading with God to heal Carl. Little did I know that in just nine hours, Carl's body would be completely cancer-free. God answered my prayer, just not in the way that I had hoped. I could give thanks for answered prayer. 
In fact, I keep a mason jar of rocks with answered prayers written on them. Just as Joshua commanded the Israelites to leave rocks as a reminder of God's protection through the Jordan so their kids would one day know of his faithfulness, I was eventually able to write 7-2014, Carl Healed. This was not in my own power. It was God's perspective that led to rejoicing and thankfulness. Because I have seen time and time again how God has sustained our family, I can trust him with our future. I can pour my heart out to him in sobs and in sighs and even in silence. It's not organized. It's not just in my quiet time and sometimes it's not very pretty. See, I need his guidance. I need his comfort every single moment. I need him to help me be a solo parent. I cling to him when I'm sad or I'm lonely or I'm frustrated, when I'm uncertain whether my kids will be okay or if I will ever know love again. I cry out to a God who hears my cry and he says, Mita, I've got you. Praying without ceasing is like breathing without ceasing. It's essential if you want to live. So where are we all now? Skyler has graduated from ASU, from the Walter Cronkite Journalism School, and Barrett the Honors College. She graduated summa cum laude last May. <laughs> She moved to Portland, where she's now working for a major public relations firm. Hannah, oh my Hannah, she's a junior in the nursing program at George Fox University outside of Portland, and Skylar and Hannah are sharing an apartment. Cody, he's a sophomore at Push Ridge Christian Academy. He's on the drum line. He plays soccer. He looks just like his dad. I'm working at Push Ridge, sharing with kids who are making their faith their own, reminding them that they may not like their circumstances, they may not understand their circumstances, but they can trust the God who loves them, and he's worth knowing. Even more amazing is how God has knit our lives together with the Flemings. We have been in small group community with the Flemings since our kids were little. Michelle and I have been friends, our husbands were friends, our kids have been friends. Mark was diagnosed with colon cancer the summer of 2014, overlapping the time that Carl was sick. They had the same oncologist. They had the same treatment plan. They had the same chemo room, same chemo nurse. Mark died two years ago this month. God orchestrated our circumstances so that Michelle and I could buy houses right next door to each other where we can raise our kids together. We even have a ladder going over the wall between our houses. We use it often. That whole story is for another day. We are living out Ruth and Naomi. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. We are encouraging each other daily to live with God's perspective, to live in thankfulness and gratitude for everything to trust him completely with our future, 
And just as God demonstrated his power and his provision when Cody was born, he is demonstrating both of those to us right now. Michelle and I repeat often, often in tears, thus far the Lord has helped us. We don't know what the future holds, but because he has sustained us in the past, we will trust him for our future. Today we consider just one more perspective on prayer. God calls to us, talk to me. I want to be in a relationship with you. I want to be there when you're facing this hard stuff. I want you to see things with my eyes and to rejoice. I want you to live in gratitude. I want you to trust me with your future. Paul's reminders to these people unsure of their future are just as applicable to us today as they were the day he penned that letter. We don't know when Jesus is returning. We want to live for him in a culture that does its own thing. So what do we do when nothing around us makes sense? We will rejoice always. We will pray without ceasing. We will give thanks in all things, for that is God's will for us. Let's pray.